Welcome to the Sales Development Podcast, your go-to resource for all things pipeline and revenue production in the tech sales world. Technology marketing, sales development, sales, and revenue operations have combined to create the go-to market engine fueling the success of SaaS startups and established companies alike. Each week, the Sales Development Podcast dives deeply into the strategies, tactics, people, processes, and technology that fuels the revenue machine. The Sales Development Podcast is brought to you by Tenbound. Get more free resources, insights, and intelligence today at tenbound.com. And be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I'm David Delaney, your host, and I'm joined today by the co-founder and CEO of Revenue Grid, Vlad Vaskrensky. <laughs> Vlad, how are you doing today, buddy? Very good, David. Thanks much for having me. It's a real oh pleasure. And that's not uncommon. So many people have challenges saying my last name, but that's totally fine. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So if I can remember, I'll edit that part out. But thank you so much for being patient. How are you doing today, sir? Very good. Very good. Thanks for having me one more time. And how are you guys doing? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was saying it's been a couple of years because we met originally at the Tenbound conference. Yes. I want to say 2019 or 2020. And then you left us. You moved out to Atlanta with the company. Correct. Yeah. So we were headquartered in Bay Area. And then we've decided to move our headquarter out of San Francisco Bay Area to Atlanta, Georgia, where we historically had an office. It was a representative office, but now it is our headquarter and we are enjoying summer here. Okay. And I know Revenue Grid has just made great strides in the last few years in the sales technology space. And even since you were at the conference, it's been an amazing experience, especially with everything that's happening in the world. If people aren't familiar with how Revenue Grid works, how did you go about starting the company and you know deciding to tackle this problem? Yeah, so it's actually an unusual story. We're not typical startup. We have a lot of enterprise incline, and we've been trained hard way, if you would, to be a serious B2B player for enterprise world. Because Revenue Grid, it's not just a new company, a new brand. It's a rebranded company. And four years ago, our name was Invisible.io. Previously, we were Invisible CRM even. We've dropped CRM out of our name because it was a bit misleading. Many people thought that we were doing CRM. We were never developing or doing any CRM automation. In fact, Invisible CRM was invented to co-work, coexist with CRM. And technically, our idea back then was to make use of CRM invisible for salespeople. It was bold message. That bold message was so bold because back then, we clearly identified the pain of salespeople. They did not like CRM. Many of them still do not like CRM. They think it's a reporting tool for them because... At the end of the day, CRM was always designed and built for top management. It's a big database out of which management can run nice reports, dashboards, you name it, and control the situation. But for account execs, for personal contributors, pretty much it's a database where they have to put the data. And we all know this phrase, if it's not in CRM, it does not exist, right? So technically kind of a condition of employment for account execs. We felt that pain. So we wanted, we said like, hey, let's not change people, let's change software. And if sales guys are somewhere else, how can we help them so they can still be where they are? And CRM owners, managers will get the data which they're looking for in CRM so everybody are happy. So we started to evolve through that idea and clearly understood that account execs, sales reps, contributors, they are in the field, on the phone, in email, on calendar, closing the business. And then at the end of the day, they have to go and enter everything into CRM. 
So we started to develop the very first product was an Outlook plugin for Salesforce CRM. And that Outlook plugin was able to work completely offline because it was synchronization enabled. So the sync engine would run bi-directional sync of contacts, calendar, be able to catch emails and record them as an activities and keep even them in sync, etc. So there was pretty much complete workplace, which was offline enabled and had a snapshot of Salesforce in your Outlook. And salespeople started to enjoy that. They had not to duplicate the data, you know, go back to CRM and enter because the engine was smart enough to understand what's personal, what's business related, grab it, get it to CRM, keep it synchronized. Then our journey was very interesting because I've mentioned that we were enterprise trained and how that has happened. So we came up with a product in Salesforce ecosystem, have been trying to sell it to Salesforce clients directly, and very quickly understood being bootstrapped, nearly bootstrapped. We've got only small angel round back then. We understood that we don't have a bandwidth to build a sales teams to penetrate every single CRM ecosystem, but we want that. So instead of trying to sell directly to users of other CRMs, we started to work with vendors who were developing those CRMs. I started to work with Sugar CRM, then with NetSuite, which was not even CRM, but ERP, and then Oracle, and then SAP, and then you name it. So long story short, nearly all of the world-leading CRM systems, they licensed our technology, which is right now a platform, and that platform which knows how to connect to any kind of inbox and calendar and capture the data and make sure that the data is properly like recorded into the CRM. Not everything, but only this what needs to be in CRM. Put in CRM as an activity linked to proper records, including custom records, custom fields, etc. So we've built a very mature platform, which many vendors will be surprised nearly all of the leading CRM, they use our technology when it comes to either Outlook or Gmail or Office 365 or Exchange, including even Microsoft Dynamics to Microsoft Outlook. It's actually our technology sitting in there. So yeah, Zeeble, Oracle okay. Cloud, SAP on-prem, SAP C4C, like literally, you name it. And that was an interesting moment when when we've named the company Invisible CRM and then Invisible, we wanted to make use of CRM Invisible for customers, for people, for users. But in fact, we became an invisible vendor. Nobody mm. knew our name because we were white labeled, right? We were like okay. sitting in all of those CRM systems and they would either sell or even distribute through their ecosystem. So, so many people in the world were using our technology without knowing that they're using us. And then the evolution, which led us to Revenue Grid, which led us to where we are right now. Being very successful in working with any kind of a client from a small SMB-like to the very enterprise size companies, we went through all of that. And at some point, the question was like, okay, where do we go next? And through talking with our clients, through talking with our partners, brainstorming ourselves, we've realized that we are sitting on two boxes of a treasury, if you would. That's the box of a treasury of a very structured but never complete data in CRM because people are not good entering everything. We know that. And very unstructured but probably complete data set outside of CRM and conversational channels. And we are like those infrastructural guys who are building pipes, but we never capitalize on the data. So we've said like, wait a second, if we look at the data, what the data can tell us? And that was a very interesting way of thinking. I remember that we were sitting with one of our customers and the CRO of that company, he said to me one thing which really like 
super surprised me and we've jumped on it and then we've really capitalized on that. He said like, look, Vlad, if you think about that, we all as a sales leaders, we all want to hire the smartest, the most experienced salespeople. We all love them. But what makes sales guy the most experienced? That's the guy who has been through situations, who has a pattern. I've been here and there. I know what it smells like. I know how to behave in those situations. So if you think about that, the most experienced sales guy for you, it's your CRM because your CRM have seen it all from the very first opportunity you had, all the pipeline back then and now, everything we've won, everything we've lost. The problem though is nobody ever asks CRM for that experience. And we're like, oh, wait a second. So that's probably where we can start. So we started to analyze pipeline, currently open pipeline, and all of the activities and interactions which are going on around that pipeline and started to compare it with the previous pipelines, either won or lost, and what were the activity patterns back then, trying to signal, now we call it revenue signals, but providing insights like, hey, dear manager or dear account exec, last time we were there, it didn't go well, or maybe that's what you need to do at that step. So we started with this and we started to provide those guidance. At some point, we're calling this guided selling expertise. So those insights on top of the currently open pipeline and currently ongoing activities and what could be happening or should be happening and not happening. So that was the very first use case we've implemented. And by this, we were probably super lucky to start doing what we right now call revenue intelligence. The market calls it revenue intelligence. Back then, it was not even that term. It was like five years ago. It was sales 2.0. It was guided selling. It was sales intelligence, but not yet revenue intelligence. We quickly evolved to the validation of your pipeline and your forecast scenario as well. So on top of pipeline visibility, we've built forecast visibility scenario. And then, since we were able to see the activities of account execs and see what they're doing in terms of the results, we've provided a third lens on it, which is what makes your sales champion a champion? How do they spend their day? Are they jumping on the phone calls or maybe in emails? Do they do a lot of mass mail? What do they say during the calls, et cetera? So the fourth use case we started to provide is visibility on what your team is doing. Those four pillars right now, they actually form the real use cases of revenue intelligence. And once we've realized that, we started to go back to our users and customers. Some of them did not even know that they were using us, as I've mentioned. Talk to them about this, and it started to resonate, and it brought us to where we are. We've decided even to rebrand. It was a bold move. But we felt that our name back then, Invisible.io, is not really explaining what we right now bring to the table. So we've rebranded to Revenue Grid. That technology is still our backbone with all of those use cases we have built around. It's one unified platform. It's CRM agnostic. We do not focus on any particular market, though Salesforce is probably the most dynamic one, as we know, just out of CRM market. But yeah, we can work with any CRM vendor. We nicely coexist with CRM. And as we say, we try to make it actionable by providing those revenue insights on top of the data which sits in CRM like in the database. So that's my long response to the history and evolution and where we are right now. But I felt like it's interesting because it's unusual. As I said, we are not a young startup who got an idea, figured out product market fit, jumped on it, developed it. We had a platform, very powerful, which we were trying to understand where's the best place to plug it. And then we've identified those revenue intelligence scenarios. And as I said, we were lucky to be in revenue intelligence before revenue intelligence was named revenue intelligence, if you would. Nice. Okay. This is really interesting. You're a good storyteller and you could tell he's a really bright guy (laughs) because you picked up that pattern. The question that I would have is, 
you've got invisible and you've got all these great relationships and these things are happening. You could kind of just live off of this business that you had created. And it probably would just sort of keep going as long as you keep innovating and keep going. Why did you want to take it to the next level by now you're rebranding and making it even bigger? Yeah, you're right. It was profitable business. We were bootstrapped. We never raised any investment. So we were happy and profitable, if you would. But we felt that there is a bigger story. We really felt that in sales industry as such, very little vendors are focusing on the value which is provided for end user, meaning the account exec, those guys who are personal contributors, who are trying to move the needle. Because sales technology landscape right now looks very, very saturated, very busy. We have CRM and then a lot of tools on top of it. Mainly those tools are being designed and shaped for the managers who wants to see those reports and who wants to control the situation. But not a lot of those tools are actually designed to help those guys who, as I've said, moving the needle. So we felt that we are in a position to respond to that, honestly, old, old promise of CRM, but it was never delivered on that promise. CRM was invented by Zebel as a tool for manager. The promise was that at some point will be helpful for account execs as well. It never became really helpful for account execs. So we wanted to make CRM actionable, and we felt that it's a big opportunity. As I've said before, that it was not even revenue intelligence market. Right now, that market is there, and analysts are saying that at some point, every CRM license would need revenue intelligence next to it. Either CRM vendors will respond to that need themselves, or vendors like us will. So I think it was just an ambitious play from our end, trying to capitalize on the platform we've built and clearly seeing the gap, which back then was still not closed. And right now it's still not closed. And we wanted to help account execs to be more successful, give them the tool which actually helps them to get to better results or get to their results faster, which is another kind of a better result. So I want to dig in. There were four use cases, but tell me about revenue intelligence as a category. So Five years ago, even five years ago, it was a lot of different definitions, and now it's become a category. How did it you know, evolve to that? It's interesting. So I always apply that example. Like if five years ago, I would line up a hundred of VP sales of the companies from that planet, if you would, and ask them what CRM is, all of them would give me the same answer. They'll tell me like, oh, it's SFA, working with ops, with leads, you know, moving them through the pipeline. If we would ask them what sales engagement is, they would be like, yeah, sequences, email sequences, sales enablement. Okay, it's a content, it's sales content we use. Revenue intelligence, they would be like, what is it? Talk to me about that. (laughs) A couple of years ago, situation already has changed. They would not react like, what is it? They would give us the answer, but that answer would be very different. One would say that revenue intelligence, it's forecasting. One would say that intelligence, it's deep pipeline analysis and AI on top of that. One would say it's actually analysis of what my sales reps are doing or how my content is working, etc. And it's interesting to see how the many vendors are moving into the market, bringing the value which they have historically developed naming that value as a part of revenue intelligence. And I know why, because the like DNA revenue intelligence very nicely suits to pretty much any type of a sales automation. But that's why we see, for example, Gong moving to that space with the conversational intelligence saying that, okay, but it's a part of revenue intelligence, so we are revenue intelligence provider. Or outreach making sequences for, you know, they were successful and they are successful because of their sequences. Now they say we are revenue intelligence provider because we not only do the sequences, but then we analyze the responses, which suggest you what to say and how to say, et cetera. 
And then many other vendors, like even us, honestly, yeah, we evolved into the revenue intelligence market after the activity capture or sales data integration provider. So even for us, it was evolution. And there are quite a few startups which popped up on the revenue intelligence market. But to me, the definition is so broad because there are so many responses to one this fundamental problem is we say revenue intelligence is here to respond to. And that problem in our definition is revenue leakage out of your pipeline. So revenue leakage happens like we are saying that revenue leakage happens at, from every single pipeline in the world. Some people may realize this. Some people may say it's not happening, but in fact, it is happening. And uh, I think it was interesting research from Gartner when at least 40% of those guys who responded said that we have revenue leakage. My take, other 60 also have it. They just don't know about that. <laughs> That's it. But revenue leakage is here. And what we call revenue leakage, this is this winnable revenue. Not any revenue you can potentially close, but winnable revenue, which was in your pipeline. But at some point, because of errors of execution in your revenue process, or maybe not enough attention or not enough priorities, this winnable revenue was lost. This is what we call leakage. And go back to the use cases of revenue intelligence and why there are so many tools right now trying to be in the space. Because pretty much everything which sells automation people or those guys who are responsible for sales automation are trying to implement is targeted to respond to that revenue leakage. They may know it and name it revenue leakage. Very often they don't name it revenue leakage, but every sales tool in our sales automation landscape technically is here to address potential revenue leakage. We would run sequences to improve the velocity of our outbound. We would run, for example, Calendly scenario to secure more meetings, which is kind of an answer to the potential leakage. We would run ABM tool to know more about our prospects. We would run this and this and this. And pretty much all of the tool in sales landscape is technically intended to improve your sales results or close that potential revenue leakage. So you're not leaking revenue here. You keep winning your winnable deals. So that's my you know, high level response to that. Okay. And so let's go through the use cases again. So there were four major use cases. One of them is the executive at the high level looking for overview of the revenue leakage. But tell me those again. Okay. So the use cases we've implemented, I think they comes second in the value. I'll tell you those use cases. They're coming second in the value. I think the signs of revenue or causes of revenue leakage are more important. So the use cases were deeper pipeline analysis, pipeline visibility, forecasting scenario, Sales productivity scenario, like what people are doing, and productivity improvements. Everything which is routinely repeatable needs to be automated one way or the other. So these are the use cases. But if I would step one pillar above of it and talk a little bit about those signs of revenue leakage or causes of revenue leakage, we say that there are three major causes for revenue leakage. One is like flying blind. We're doing something without knowing what we're doing. Dropped balls. We had to be doing this, but we didn't do that. And, you know, playbook is here, formal or informal. Our people just didn't do this. And then wasted time. People are focusing on something else. So these are the things which are, you know, technically then being covered by all of those use cases. And by the way, even more, because as I've said, I truly believe that any type of a sales automation is trying to fix those problems. Again, flying blind, we don't know what we're doing, dropped balls, we're not executing on what we need to be executing and wasted time. We focus on something else. And for example, flying blind, how do you respond to that? You need better pipeline visibility. You want to know. You don't want to, as a sales leader, to interrogate your account exec on the pipeline meeting to understand what's really going on with this opportunity I see in my CRM. 
talk to me about that. So only then I can start coaching this. I need better pipeline visibility. Right here, flying blind, I will also need better forecasting because I'm a little bit afraid of take blindly the forecast which I can see in my CRM and bring it up to my board because I know it's not going to happen. That's why I need to sit on forecasting calls with my account execs and revalidate. Here, the use case of forecasting would help. Flying blind is also a problem of capturing the data, partial data. If we would have data, it would respond to flying blind. And I can go very deep in all of those. Like, for example, dropped balls, like unstable performance. We have playbooks, formal or informal. People are not reacting to that. Only RevOps or SalesOps can figure out this. But often it's another kind of interrogation of account execs. Like, hey, we have that rule that within 24 hours after the meeting, you better send the summary email to customers. Did you do this or not? Why the heck we have to ask that question if technology can know? And technology can hint to account exec that, hey, by the way, we have the rule. And by the way, the rule looks like it works because those guys who are following the rule, they get better pipeline results. The rule says you better send that email. You've got a meeting yesterday. It's already 24 hours. You haven't sent the follow up. Please send. That's the revenue signal for account exec and for the manager. If account exec reacts, perfect. If account exec is not reacting, we have something to talk about on our one-on-one. And maybe I can coach you. So flying blind, dropped balls, wasted time. These are the causes of revenue leakage. And our ambition, our belief is that pretty much any sales tool on the market is trying to respond to those, either knowing that we are fighting revenue leakage or not saying directly that we are fighting revenue leakage, but one way or the other, we're trying to address those causes and improve the situation. Okay. And let me understand this. So through the invisible technology that you have, you can track what people are doing through the day. And then it, it can go back into the CRM, which can then be analyzed in these different ways with the tools that you're developing now. So a sales rep doesn't really have to input anything new or do anything different. They just go about their day, but then the manager gets a report that has a red flag or some kind of signal that says, you need to go talk to that person in their one-on-one about this particular thing. That's okay. very correct. So everything yeah. starts with activity capture. Not necessarily uh-huh. the data should be in CRM, but data should be visible to CRM or to whatever tool we run to analyze because everything happens through activity. Like everything we're doing in our life, it's one of our activity, either verbal conversation or phone conversation or us doing something. So the more sources we can connect to and analyze, the better. Mainly companies want to store the data in CRM, which is fine. Sometimes, by the way, no. Because sometimes the chief security officer will say like, hey, you know what? Over my dead body, you store exchange conversations we are having into the cloud-based CRM, which I'm not controlling because we are governmental institutions or healthcare or whatever. And you know, email conversations are not going anywhere. That's fine. In that situation, you need to adjust. You need to say like, okay, we're not saving that data into the CRM, but we at least index that. And we know that David and Vlad were on phone for an hour back then even without us knowing the details. At least this is able to capture. So the level of activity capture we can balance according to the industry standard or requirements, but that's the beginning for everything. And like whatever happens in revenue intelligence would be impossible without good activity capture. So that foundation should be here. Now, then you're right. Once the activities are being visible for the processes, you try to compare what makes sense or not in terms of a common sense, in terms of our playbooks, formal or informal, in terms of our past experience. And then you start to throw in those signals. You were saying that you show that signal to managers. Yes and no. First of all, you want to account execs to see those signals. 
because there are no like bad account execs. They're all good people. They're all trying hard. It's just we are overloading them so much that they do not really prioritize correctly. And there are people. They can have those dropped balls, as we say. So we help them to highlight that, hey, you are not doing this. And by the way, it's important. By the way, there is very interesting aspect of revenue intelligence. If you really deep dive into that, it's to reanalyze what our processes or playbooks are actually working versus not working. Say you are my manager. I'm an account exec. You've been to a nice conference. You come back and you say like, you know what? I've learned that email outbound is not working anymore. We have to send text messages instead of cold emails. Okay, lovely. And then you tell me as an account exec, make sure that you actually send it. First of all, you have no ability to check unless you have revenue intelligence tool, which will tell you that Vlad is not doing this or doing that. But more important question, say Vlad is doing that. Does it provide any difference for the pipeline results? And if yes, that's for you a leverage to convince others like, hey, be like Vlad, do this, you'll get better results. Or to see that this process is unnecessary and you can simplify it. There is no need to drive all your people towards that rule or that playbook just because there is no difference. They could do whatever and they could have the same results. So let's give them some freedom. So this is also an important aspect, which is being rev- leveraged by RevOps or SalesOps, which are running revenue intelligence. That's how they see the system. But the primary value, yeah, it's line manager and account exec. They work together. They're all in the same boat. They're trying not to miss the right move, right step. And those steps are being suggested to them. Got it. Okay. And I'll give you an example. So you identify that we need more prospecting happening on the team. So you put everyone through a prospecting training class and they come out of the training class and you're looking for the behavior change to see if they're making more calls and they're setting up more meetings via their skills that they learned that you invested in in the class. And then, so you can see whether that's happening or not through revenue intelligence. And if it is happening, then, okay, now we have justification for doing more training. If it's not happening, then was it the training or the people are not using the training that we invested in? So you can make those decisions. Exactly. So you've just walked through two of those causes. Either it's dropped balls problem or it's flying blind problem. Either you don't know if they are doing this or not, and you think they're going to hit the forecasts and the expected results, even though you and your RevOps, you've analyzed that, hey, our marketing is generating for us only 75% of the pipeline. We need to hit our quota. It means that at least 25% of pipeline needs to be self-generated for our account execs. Okay, good. We went them through the training. We explained them how to do that. Now, time is on. We are in the middle of a quarter. Are they on track or not? That's the very first question you want to know. You'll challenge your RevOps, but technically revenue intelligence system should show you by every team member, like these guys are progressing towards that goal. These guys are not. Now, these guys who are not progressing, why? Maybe the guy was a trade show. That's why he had time on this or something else. Or there was training, as you've said, and through the training, you came up with very nice suggestions or maybe even playbooks, but those suggestions are not being followed. So now we have dropped balls. And we want to fix the drop balls problem. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's, And it's always a combination. It probably you can hear me that there is no unique silver bullet which will help any company to sniper shot, fix the revenue leakage. No. You look at your pipeline. You try to understand as a revenue leader and maybe a RevOps leader, where do you think the biggest problem is? Maybe you talk to external people as a consultancy firm or consultancy, and you Try to understand where the low-hanging foods could be. You start to analyze, identify those gaps, 
patch it or maybe even close it, fix it, and then move to next one, to next one, to next one, to next one. Right. As soon as you fix that one, then there's another problem that's coming up soon. That's normal. It's totally yeah. fine. But then you know that you are one problem less. Yeah. Right. And before revenue intelligence, you know, salespeople and sales leaders would just keep moving forward. There's not a lot of introspection and understanding of what was working and what's not. It almost becomes like a gut. Reaction. Two problems here. Yeah. One, which you've just said, it's always gut feeling like, hey, I'm actually like, we're always moving forward. We're not trying to analyze what's back then because we don't have tool for this. We don't have complete visibility. We have our gut feeling that that worked, that did not. So now let's plan our next quarter or next financial year based on our gut feeling and maybe what experts are saying in the industry rather than our results. So that's one problem to fix. Another potential problem with which people were not able to fix, but now we can. If you think about that, the information being transferred from an account exec to the board through a lot of meetings. And this is retelling of a story, retelling of a story, retelling of a story. I'm as an account exec, I'll create an opportunity. And I said that it's 30% probability and that's my win plan and that's my buying committee and that's the situation. Now through the conversation with you, my line manager, I'm telling you a little bit more. Then you would talk to VP of territory and talk about this opportunity in your words, in your language. So information is already perverted. And then VP would talk to EVP or VP sales. And then that VP sales would talk to CRO. And then CRO would go back to board and say, yeah, this quarter we're going to close 100 million because this is my gut feeling. So we have to eliminate this anecdotal loss of a sense, if you would, because it should be straightforward. Technically, like anyone should be able to go back to the opportunity and see the real insights, which are visible through everyone in that sequence of people, if you would, chain of people. Everyone should see, let me give an example. Say, sales rep put an opportunity of 80%. It's going to be closed in May. It's only beginning of May as we speak. So still nearly a month to go. 80% probability, good to go. Now, good revenue intelligence platform will be able to see this compared with previous ops and come up with something like, hey, you know what? When we are selling that type of a product to that type of a customer, at 80% probability, you better already engage with procurement people. And you don't even know procurement role in your opportunity. Or maybe you have that role, but there is zero conversation with the procurement people. So we challenge that it's 80%. Or the insight could be, yeah, okay, nice. It's still three weeks to go. And it just ended up in that probability stage. But typically for that size of op, that product we sell to that type of a customer, our sales cycle from that stage to closed one is two months, not three weeks. So you better explain. It still may be the case because you know your account exec, you own it, but we have a signal here and you have to react on that signal. So those things are also important. Mm -hmm. This is funny because it brings to mind like the great VPs of sales. They do what you're describing just because they've been in the business for, you know, 25 years and they've heard every excuse and they've yeah. heard every, yes. every story and the telephone game, you know, from the sales rep to the board and they've just been around for a long time. And now what you've done is, you know, put this into a computer system. Exactly. Exactly. So like if people can explain that and because they are doing this so long time, it's a subject of a technology to jump on it and automate that. So then we free some time for people for more intelligent tasks. Like yeah. none of the revenue intelligence platform can secure your revenue. By the way, none of the revenue intelligence platform can fix your revenue leakage. We can together with people highlight 
We can make sure that some of those are not happening just because we build habits, we train people. So they take it from their brain to their spinal brain, if you would, from thinking to habits, and they are not doing this anymore. And that's why there is no leakage. But in the end of the day, it's always a coexist of human being, human brain, and tools. It's just better and better tools to identify leakage faster, to identify leakage clearer, and then make sure that we patched it and it's not leaking here anymore. So then we can focus on something else. It's true. And so you're not wasting time dropping balls or flying blind. And is there a certain size of company that would be more of a candidate for revenue intelligence? Can it be a small startup or do they have to be, you know, have multiple sales reps? Yeah. So I truly believe that every single CRM license, as I've said, needs to be accompanied with the revenue intelligence, though obviously there are you know better candidates or maybe not so good candidates. I should say that if you're a small startup and you are leader, sales leader in that company and you have less than 10 salespeople, for example, I bet that you know a lot. Just because you talk to them, you're so close to pipeline, you probably know every single deal and your visibility is much better. So you can eliminate many of those problems just because you are so hands down, like you're so detailed oriented that there is not that problem. As soon as there is line managers and top managers are being introduced, this is where the picture starts to be blurred. This is where VP sale is not so comfortable running the report and bring it to the board and say, these are my commits. No, he'll go back to the team and every week do the forecast discussion, pipeline discussion to secure his commit in front of the board because he doesn't see that visibility. So as soon as that visibility starts to blur, and as I've said, it starts when we have several layers of responsibility in sales work, that's already a good candidate to run the revenue intelligence. So I would say 50 salespeople in the company plus, you have to have revenue intelligence aspects of your sales automation stack. Otherwise you are losing. Yeah. You're going to get passed by your competitors because your competitors probably have it. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Or we'll have it tomorrow if not today. Yeah. Yeah. And so they should all get revenue grid though, right? Not the other guy. Look, <laughs> I'm actually very friendly in the industry one way or the other. Probably <laughs> I should say, yes, revenue grid only nobody else. But let me be super honest here. I think we've built really good product and it's one of the best in the market. Though I think all of the revenue intelligence market leaders are doing a very good job helping salespeople to be more productive. It's hard work. It's actually a very tough position to be at. I mean, to be a sales guy, it's not easy. We know that. And we want to help them. So I know we are all responding to that problem with our own tools, and it's nice that we compete. We give options to people to choose. I know that we've built a very, very good product. I encourage everyone to look at us when they make a decision, but I'm not saying we are the only one on the market. It would be just unfair to those colleagues who are working shoulder to shoulder to us. And yeah, I think we don't really compete as of now. We don't compete between each other. We're kind of frenemies. We are friends and enemies at the same time. I think we compete for the attention of revenue leaders and sales leaders to the problem. We are trying to educate them and convince them that this is how you need to look at your sales automation stack and think revenue intelligence mantra before you try to blindly introduce more and more and more technologies in your sales automation stack without even knowing and feeling what exact leakage you're trying to solve. Yes. Yep. I 100% agree. It's interesting because there's been such an explosion in sales technology over the last 10 years or so that it's more and more a question of attention, you know, to just get in front of the sales leaders and be able to pitch, you know, what you're doing 
versus just a few years ago when they're, you know, it's not as bad as marketing technology. That's really gone off the rails, but sales technology is coming up fast with all these different plugins and everything, especially now with AI, you know, coming on the scene and being more adaptive. I know it's been around for a long time, but with chat GPT, it seems like it's really, it's the thing now to talk about AI. And, you know, as you were describing what you're working on in the back of my head, I was like, you're almost getting to the point where you won't need salespeople anymore because the revenue intelligence will just make all the decisions and at some point be able to interact with the prospects and customers so that you just can eliminate that expense of having salespeople. Do you ever see that happening? And was that a cat that just walked in the screen? Yeah, it's a cat. Okay. I have (laughs) such a nice cat here who's trying to be in a podcast right here. (laughs) See now, if we could attach AI to revenue grid, we could eliminate all humans and then the cats could just take over. I wish, though I don't really believe that it's going to be the case. I truly believe that it should be a combination of AI and people. AI is super helpful saving time for us. Super helpful making summaries, which we need, helping us to focus on what's important. But at the end, we all know that marketing trick, artificial intelligence is not intelligence, it's actually machine learning. Let's be open here, right? So machine can learn and can then summarize that learning for you and educate you much faster, give you a snapshot. But there is no intelligence per se. Machine is yet not very good at making a very nice conclusions, decisions, and self-education. You need people to make those decisions. And that's why I truly believe in the combination of AI and human being. What revenue intelligence can clearly do is to shorten the cycle to really give all of the tools and answers and suggestions to account execs and rev leaders to quickly make those decisions. And then, which I truly believe should be an important part of any revenue intelligence platform of the future, if not today, once we see repeatable decisions, then this has to be automated. Like if you see that if this, then that, if this, then that, why the AI cannot suggest you like, you know what, next time we shouldn't even ask. We should just do it and inform so you can roll back or just do it. That's it. So this is where the coexist is. I'm a big believer in adaptive AI. Long, long time ago, I was a big dreamer of CRM behaving with me like an account exec. Back to my example that nobody asks CRM for the experience. That's because to ask CRM, you need the whole freaking sales ops department who will run for you the reports and you need to understand how to ask them so then they can run those reports or there's those dashboards so then you can get those insights. Imagine if you can talk to your CRM in human language. Imagine if you can ask like, hey, CRM, let me know what's going on with this opportunity. What's on the territory? Are we going to close our forecast? If not, why? Who is my the most successful account exec versus the most problematic? If, if there is not very successful account exec, what do you think I should coach him or her on? Those type of questions are actually already potentially answerable. We can answer those questions because the data is here. Yet it's still people making those decisions, but that's the territory which can be automated by the AI. And that's, I think, the next step. Okay. I don't want to go too far, but have you thought about integrating voice technology into your platform so you can literally ask those questions? Or is that something, am I way, way off? (laughs) We have a voice technology where you can record the calls and transcribe them, but it's by far not what you mean. It's not me asking by voice. Though we have a chat technology already implemented, and I can text to my CRM and get insights out of it, which is kind of That's amazing. That is amazing because literally I have like five of those 
things. I don't want to say what it is, but it's from a Amazon and it's a little thing in my house. And if sure. I say, if I say sure. the name, she's going to turn on. But if I could just say, you know, hey, CRM, yeah. Yeah. Are we going to make our number this quarter? No, you're not. Okay. Why? Because yada, yada, yada. Oh my God. Okay. Now we're talking, right? Yep. So I think it's coming. It's a very normal step after being able to text, like conversate through the messages or emails with your CRM, if you would. So right now, I know that many vendors are focusing on this application of adaptive AI when you can get the human readable insights from your CRM, where you can literally say like, hey, give me the summary of this opportunity. Give me the summary of my quarter. Give me this, give me that. There are a few challenges which are unusual for the AI to solve, but they're still solvable. One of the challenges is that you cannot educate like you cannot feed an internet to ChatGPT, then ask ChatGPT about your opportunity just because it's not common knowledge. It's very, very different between your company and my company. We may be even in the same business. We may be a competitors. We may be selling to the same accounts, very similar products, but still what's true for me because of my processes and my playbooks can be not so true for you. That's why I cannot learn machine learning algorithms. I cannot teach machine learning on your model and reapply it blindly to my model. So that's a bit of a challenge. And you really need to adjust sometimes not even to the company, but pretty much to the team within the company. Because for example, Microsoft Office and Microsoft Azure are being sold completely different. And if you learn on how Azure is being sold within Microsoft and reapply it to how Office team is selling Office, these are the different learnings. You cannot do that. So anyway, but that's a challenge which is solvable. Yeah, so vendors are focusing on this. They're trying to make sure how to make those insights really meaningful, not being blurred by the other details of it. Once this is done, which I feel is very, very close, the next step would be, okay, now let's have a conversation. Yeah. Well, this is so interesting. And, you know, as you look at the clients that you work with, it seems like at least the older generation like me, the art of sales was a key factor. It's almost like a black art, like of being good at sales. And then you have the technology and the science of sales that's come up in the last, you know, 10 years to support that. It's almost like you need a VP of sales who's sort of the old school sales, but then the right hand person who's very technical and is able to to work with a company like yours to really do you see that happening in the rise of RevOps? I do. Yeah. It's clearly the rise of RevOps. At some point, that's the evolution of CRM admin job, if you would, because CRM admins, they don't want to be always in the position that, hey, I'm sitting here in the garage until the door is opened and somebody tells me, do this. I want to have that street bi-directional. I want to also go to the management office and say, hey, Houston, we have a problem. If we do this and this and this, we could do better results and be heard. Because it was always like that. You know, RevOps would be a serving unit for sales leadership. Now, especially with the CRO being introduced, because CRO title, especially in the SaaS businesses, not only covers sales, but also renewals, customer success, partnership, maybe some other departments, which are revenue generation departments. So now RevOps are actually working to CROs equally on the same level like VP sales. Because we have VP of customer success who is responsible for the renewals, VP of partnership who's responsible for all the partnership revenue, VP sales who's responsible for new revenue, and then 
RevOps, who's responsible for making all that happen, reporting to one people, and they are equal people in the same room having very meaningful discussions. So we clearly see the rays of it. And yeah, RevOps work, it's like, you know, being this mechanic in Formula One, it's still the same race, but it's a very different car every year, right? So you need to understand what is winning item today and what it should be tomorrow. So where you should look at, because... Yeah, your racer may be the same, but the machine, the you know, the engine is very, the whole machine is very different. The car is very different. So yeah, this is like a, this garage work at Formula One, which is, as they say, this is where you win the race, right? Not the, the track itself. Oh my gosh. Just tell me nobody's going to do a documentary about uh, RevOps. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's actually a good Netflix. idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please don't do that. Yeah. No, that's a great analogy though. But and you know, this has been so interesting. Now, do you usually work with VPs of sales or the head of sales at the companies that you work with? Or are you usually working with RevOps to bring in and integrate revenue grant? We always try to reach out to VP sales and get them involved because if there is no buy-in from them, the concept of revenue intelligence will simply not fly. It's like, hey, back to my analogy, I'll bring you Formula One bolide and put park it in your garage, but you'll still ride your bike, right? And that's okay, just because you you don't know how to use it and you're not interested. So I need to have your interest as a revenue leader to that technology, only then it will be used and it would fly. Though it's not necessarily our first contact to reach out. Sometimes companies are reaching out to us with those much simpler use cases, they reach out and say, hey, our CRM adoption is very low. Data is not there. We've heard you have a nice calendar from Outlook to calendar from Salesforce plugin. We want to automate that because then our people would not be double booked. We try to evolve the conversation like, why do you think it's important for you? Why do you think you're doing this? Oh, you don't want your people to be double booked. What's the problem with this? And if we keep evolving, how important it is for you to catch not only calendar invites, but also email conversations, maybe phone conversations. What else do you do with this? What's your pipeline look like? Where do you think our leakages are? So we try to test how open the company is to evolve the discussion from the use case they came with to the full value of revenue intelligence. If they are soft and already ready for this, because many people educated on that subject. They just don't think they are yet in the position of doing revenue intelligence because they have to do something smaller. We say like, no, 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 no. If you feel that it's time to do it, you better start to do it yesterday. We can help you to kick off with revenue intelligence. Some of the companies may be yet not at that level. They really need to fix fundamental problems in their sales automation first. And then we say like, fine, either we can help you to solve this if we have that functionality in our product, or you can run whatever other tools and we will be around. We'll watch until you run this and it's all up and running. And then we can go back and try to solve next problems, which are at some point revenue leakage. So long story short, we may engage with CRM admins who are downloading our app from AppExchange or office store. We may engage with line leaders, line managers who we've met at the groups insightful conversations or events. But at the end, we always would like to reach out to the decision makers at revenue generation chain to get their buy-in. Because without that buy-in, it's just, well, if you don't want to learn how to dance, we would not force you to Right. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, exactly. You're going to get left behind. And it's interesting because over the last couple of years, the product-led growth, it's had a lot of different names, but for a while it was called product-led growth. And to some extent, if someone's already signed up with Invisible or they just want one of those point solutions, 
you're kind of like a product-led growth motion where now you can come in and say, have you thought about all these other things that you're not tracking? Yeah. yeah. It's not like clear, crystal clear PLG, but it's educational PLG. It's educational product-led growth. Yeah. So we'll be around trying to talk to you like, hey, have you heard about this? Have you ever tried that? Let me show you how it may work in your environment. And then if, if those conversations spark any attention, then it goes back to product-led growth because one simple hit of a button in our product, and you may unlock that functionality, and then you may play with this. And then we iteratively will having that discussion up until you completely on revenue intelligence platform. Oh my gosh, boy, I would be scared if I was one of your competitors. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate that. Yeah. You know, you got, I mean, this is really amazing what you're working on. Now, this is the last question. Is there like a magic quadrant or wave or something of revenue intelligence or is it too early? I mean, no, 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 there is, there is. So Forrester, from analyst standpoint, Gartner is not doing wave. They're doing market research where the vendors are listed in alphabetical manner, if you would, and they just comment on them. Forrester is already doing a wave. So you have the quadrant, they call it wave where you have leaders, contenders, et cetera. So that's analyst lens on the market, but there is even better lens on the market. Market, which is G2Crowd. You go to G2Crowd and then you get users' perspective on the market. You just go to G2Crowd, search the revenue intelligence. You'll have a decent list of vendors. A quadrant is there. And yeah, hundreds and hundreds of responses from actual users on revenue intelligence platforms are there. So this is not a future thing. This is actually a very current thing. It's actually happening right now. Wow. Okay. So they have to check out like two or three so they can say that they did, but then they should definitely pick revenue grant, right? Yes. Of okay. Course. All right. I just want to be clear on that for the record. Just because we have a very, very good customer service, by the way. One <laughs> yes. of the KPI internally I'm super proud of is that our churn is very low and we are net positive churn. So people like, we know we're sticking. We know that once oh, we're dude. a company, they love us. So that's amazing. That's awesome. That's huge, you know, because it's easy to sign up for all these things. But if you're not getting value, people will churn immediately. Oh, yeah, yeah. Our churn for the last yeah. five years was always less than 5%. It's net churn. I mean, it's just, you know, just the renewals, but the net churn is 110, 115% always. So we are growing on our customer base. That's a huge testament to you and to everybody that works there at your company, because they're all working hard to keep the customers happy and deliver Thank value. You. So Thank you, you got to really give them a raise. That. If anybody's listening from your company, you deserve a raise. And by the way, Vlad is not paying me anything. That's And to say all this, I'm just honestly curious about this stuff. And people ask me all the time. It's one of the things, because I talk to people like you, they're like, what do you think about this product? Or what do you think about that product? And a lot of times I just don't really know because... You know, I'm just an analyst and talking head, you know, in the sales tech community. But this is one we've been tracking for a while. So I hope people learned a lot and they understand now what you're working on. Thank you. Thanks much, David. And I really welcome everybody into the age of revenue intelligence. It's a cool thing. It has to be in your sales automation stack one way or the other. Yeah. So that's a modern thing. I agree. And so we can connect with you on LinkedIn and we'll put all of your contact information in the show notes. So people want to get a hold and learn more about what you're doing. But Vlad, thank you for coming on the show. And one of these days, I'm going to get that last name. I'm going to get it. Good. But for now, we'll just sign off. And thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks much, Dave. Thank you. Cheers. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development. 
Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.